The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready to talk sports with one of the leading sports journalists of today? Welcome to All Around Sports with John Inglesby. John's years of experience as a journalist has allowed him to net exclusive interviews with the top players, former players, commissioners, and owners. John and his guests are ready to give you the straight word when it comes to sports. Now, let's talk all around sports. Here's your host, John Inglesby. Voice America listeners, welcome to the 62nd ever show of All Around Sports, where each Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, we broadcast live from Boston to go all around the world of sports for one hour to discuss what happened this week and what's coming up for the weekend. To join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net, which comes to me through my website at www iirsports, one word, dot com. As always, I will give you my highlights, lowlights, and bizarre news items from the past week, as well as discuss my event of the week that I attended. Also, I will be joined by A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. Well, my highlight of the week was easy. The long-awaited playoff system for college football to finally decide a national championship on the field. Uh, Many solutions have been put forth, and there's some criticism of the, quote, Final Four format, which which they finally settled on the other day. And uh, at this point, you know, I think we'll all just take whatever we can get, because it's obviously better than what we've had. So, growing up in central Pennsylvania, as you listeners know, I feel like I've, you know, lived a life of uh, controversy surrounding number one. Number one, uh, first things, uh, when I grew up in central Pennsylvania, Penn State had those fabulous, fabulous undefeated teams in the late 1960s with uh, players like Mike Reed and Steve Smear and Dennis Oncotts and Charlie Pittman and Lydell Mitchell and Franco Harris and on and on and on, Jack Ham. And they ran off, I think, 22 straight in the late 60s, early 70s. Did not ever get a national championship out of that. They, of course, were victims of President Richard Nixon going down in 1969 to the... Uh, Arkansas-Texas game and declaring that the winner of that game would be number one. And it turned out to be Daryl Royals Longhorns beating uh, Frank Royals and his quarterback Joe Ferguson in, the, in uh, Fayetteville. So Penn State got the short end of that stick. And if you fast forward then to 1995, uh, I went to the Rose Bowl when an undefeated Penn State team with Kerry Collins 
Bobby Ingram and Kajana Carter and Kyle Brady uh, beat Oregon uh, to go 12-0. and And they were not awarded the national championship that year because Nebraska with uh, head coach Tom Osborne got the sympathy vote uh, as the national champion. Uh, when they beat, uh, I believe, Miami the night before the Penn State game down in the Orange Bowl. So I could not be happier to see that uh, it's finally going to get settled on the field. Uh, the format looks uh, pretty workable to me. Uh, I think at, you know by the time you get through, uh, through to that point, the Final Four will be fairly obvious. Obviously, teams 5-6 and so on, will not be happy, but no different than, you know, teams 65, 66, 67, and 68 are not happy at, uh, with the NCAA basketball selections. So it's progress. It may not be perfect, but we will take it. And speaking of Penn State and growing up in uh, central Pennsylvania, my bizarre story of the week was the absolutely surreal scene outside of the courthouse in Belfont, Pennsylvania, at 10 p.m. last Friday night, as Jerry Sandusky was found guilty on multiple counts of child molestation. Again, as my loyal listeners know, I grew up less than an hour from Belfont. And believe me, I know that there's not much to do on a Friday night in June in central Pennsylvania. But to see that, weird atmosphere with uh, all the people on the steps of the courthouse, uh, people of all ages, including a lot of kids, uh, you know, mugging for the television uh, as the monster Sandusky was carted off to jail was just very, very bizarre. Then to watch the subsequent press conferences uh, right in front of the steps, again, all this occurring at, you know, 10, 11, midnight on a Friday night. Uh, Sandusky's lawyer, Jerry Amendola, um, interesting character, shall we say. And, uh, you know, right up to Pennsylvania, uh, top prosecutor, Linda Kelly, uh, you know, talking about the case and... Various commentators from all the different networks that were there live, again, being able to project myself back into a, uh, a Friday night in June in central Pennsylvania and what it's like down there, uh, it was really strange, particularly for me, but I think for uh, everybody who was watching, uh, bizarre would definitely be the word we would use to uh, describe that scene. Now, my low light of the week was uh, breaking news overnight, which is simply that David Beckham was left off of the England soccer team for the Olympics. And I just thought that that was horrible. Uh, Beckham was instrumental, and some would say maybe the key personality in bringing the Olympics to London many years ago when they were chosen uh, as the city by the Olympic Selection Committee. Beckham apparently worked for seven years, that's how long these things take, to, uh, to again, bring the Olympics to London. Uh, and 
Obviously, he's in the twilight of his career. We all know that. But he is a legend. Uh, based on his comments this morning, uh, and I, I give him a lot of credit because he's clearly, clearly taking the very, very high road. Uh, but based on his comments this morning, apparently he grew up, I knew he grew up in London, but apparently he grew up in the section of the city where the actual uh, Olympic venues are going to be. So uh, what a perfect person he would have been, uh, you know, to be on the English soccer team and, you know, clearly would have been the elder statesman, but again, uh, was not chosen. And I know it's a lot of youth. Apparently most of the team is obviously in their 20s, but, you know, real slap in the face to David Beckham. Uh, you know, he just won a championship last year with the Los Angeles Galaxy in MLS. And, uh, you know, he can still bring it. And, again, I think in deference to his work on the Olympics, as well as being literally an English national sports hero, he should have unequivocally and absolutely been, uh, been put on that team. So, again, easy, easy, low light of the week. And... Uh, give Bex a lot of credit. I saw him when he played his first game for the LA Galaxy when he came into Foxborough to play the New England Revolution at uh, Gillette Stadium. And it was just an absolute happening. Uh, the stadium had 50,000 or so there, and it was just incredible. So, uh, you know, the buzz that night was just you know, one of my top sports highlights of the year, uh, back his first year with the Galaxy and a true, true sports happening here in New England. Uh, and that's saying a lot, given that we have a lot of choices up here in Boston, but that was uh, a magical Saturday night. It was actually the Saturday night of Labor Day weekend, and uh, it was just spectacular. So say what you want about his age and potentially his diminishing talent, but uh, uh he absolutely deserved to be on that English soccer team, and uh, too bad that they didn't uh, take the high road like he has. And next, I'm going to talk about uh, my event of the week that I attended, which was the tradition uh, by the sponsored by the New England Sports Museum, held at the Boston Garden. It's held every June. And it truly is a spectacular event, to say the least. And uh, I went on Wednesday night. And it was just really uh, an interesting mix of household names, shall we say, inducted this year. Uh, as New England Sports Museum honorees were Pedro Martinez, Rodney Harrison, Robert Parrish, Alexi Lalas, Jeremy Jacobs, the owner of the Bruins, and Linda, Chris Ernst, who uh, broke ground as a pioneer for Title IX with the Yale women's rowing team, the crew team, back in 1976, and was also on the U.S. Olympics crew team. So we're going to take a break now, and when we get back, we'll hear from some of those well-known inductees. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. 
Sports have become a big part of everyone's lives today. We all have that team that we live and breathe to follow. We watch hours of football on TV, play Madden sports on our gaming system, and our wives can't seem to tear us from the couch. If this sounds like you, or if you're a football wife who wants a few words, we want to hear from you. Listen for Life, Love, and Sports, featuring your host, Ron Dixon. Ron takes you inside the world of sports and finds out what you, the fan, are talking about today. Listen Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Sports. Football and so much more is the focus of Planet Gridiron with Damian Anderson. Join the former Arizona Cardinals running back for a show that mixes, well, a little bit of everything. Damian brings to the program life experiences playing football and will talk about his variety of successes both on and off the field. The goal is to provide you with a fun perspective on life, family, success, and of course, football. Tune in to Planet Gridiron with Damian Anderson, Fridays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now, back to the show. Voice America listeners, welcome back to segment two of All Around Sports. And I'm your host, John Inglesby. To join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And as I said at the end of the previous segment, my event of the week was the tradition at the New England Sports Museum at the Boston Garden on Wednesday night. We covered it last year on this show, so maybe uh, that will also become a tradition on this show. A uh, great lineup of inductees this year, uh, many with just uh, electric personalities, some of the highest profile athletes to play in New England in, uh, in many a year. So why don't we start off with uh, the inimitable Bill Walton, who introduced Celtic legend Robert Parrish. This is what people have here in Boston with all of their teams, none more so than the Celtics. And to be able to be on Robert's team, mostly I was the guy who came in and let Robert rest for just a couple minutes because Casey played all those starters to death. But a few times that I had the chance to be on the court with him as his teammate, it was just so unbelievable because you just knew that whatever happened, Robert was going to get the job done. And that comes from Red Auerbeck at the top, which is the theme of the Celtics whatever it takes to get it done, and nobody did that like the Chief Robert Pierce. And in many ways, Bill Walton, who is just a terrific personality and the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet, truly, uh, stole the show. He was just terrific, and uh, just to set the scene for you, the format was uh, the inductees were introduced by their chosen person, in this case, Paris chose Bill Walton. And after they were introduced, as you just heard Walton do for Parrish, uh, then they sat down uh, with some local radio personalities and 
talked about their career in, uh, in a, quote, living room format. And one of the more interesting questions asked to uh, the chief were uh, was his thoughts on Larry Bird and Michael Jordan, two of the all-time NBA greats. Played with Jordan, two of the greatest players to ever, ever play that game. Uh, what were the differences? What made them both great? What the obvious difference between uh, Jordan and, and Bird is after that simple. Obviously, you know, Larry was very slow with the jump. <laughs> a great player. Uh, Larry definitely made uh, what he didn't have in athletic ability, made it with him in skill. You know, very skilled, very determined. And uh, the one thing that uh, they had to come, unshakable confidence. They always believe, no matter what the circumstances is, they can get it done. And I think that's one, one ingredient that made the two so great. Well, obviously, Robert Parrish made his name as a Celtic. He was just fabulous. I got to see him many, many times in the old Boston Garden, and uh, they were magical times, to put it mildly. And But many people forget that Robert Parrish ended his career playing with the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. Uh, so has a unique perspective on Larry Bird and Michael Jordan. And uh, let me just also... Mention in advance throughout the upcoming audio, you're going to hear some uh, some applause, what have you, some laughter. Uh, so I apologize in advance, but I thought that the audio was so good that we could uh, uh, suffer through it together because the content is excellent. Well, next up, uh, to introduce an inductee, Jeremy Jacobs, owner of the Bruins, was NHL Commissioner... Gary Bettman talking about Jeremy Jacobs. What I've learned over the last few years, it's a lot easier to give the trophy on home ice than it is on the road. The level of booing changes dramatically. Uh, it, it was very special because what I think most people don't know about Jerry is he is about as passionate as any owner, any fan is about sport. If you ask Peter Shirelli, he'll tell you that Jerry watches more hockey games during the course of the season than he does. He is perhaps as knowledgeable as anyone about the game. Uh, he, he wants to win more than anything else, but he wants to win because of what he knew it would mean for Boston, and it was a long drought for between cup victories, so giving it to somebody who cares that much about the team, about the community, about what it means for the family, uh, and to do it after yearning for it for so long was really special. And that was NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman introducing Jeremy Jacobs, and his reference to Peter Shirelli was, of course, the general manager uh, of the Bruins, and... That was interesting stuff from Gary Bettman because for so long up here in Boston, Jeremy Jacobs was perceived as a, quote, absentee owner, uh, the head of Delaware North. He lives out in Buffalo. So I think a lot of people, and there was a large, large crowd uh, at the Garden for this event, uh, a lot of people were surprised to hear that he is uh, such a fan and, quote, watches his more hockey than Peter Shirelli. And... Needless to say, all those thoughts disappeared uh, 
uh, about a year ago this month uh, when the Bruins won the Cup after 39 years and uh, the first Cup under the stewardship of Jeremy Jacobs. And here's what the Bruins owner had to say about winning that elusive first Cup. Question to you, when you look back at some of the teams that you've had, you the lunch pail game teams of the late 70s, and then of course Ray and Cam and that group, you came oh so close and didn't get it. How satisfying was it for you to finally reach and get that holy grail? Honestly, of my involvement in sports, and that's been a long time because it goes back even to my dad's era, uh, that was, there was no moment like that. 2011. That uh, experience, I never enjoyed myself more than I did in Vancouver. Uh, I wish it happened here, but it, it, was, it was a great day. That instant, it was, it was spectacular, that instant. But it, it was that five or ten minutes or whatever, you had the cup, you did it, and then you got the hell out of there because they were going to be throwing beer. Uh, and, uh, and you know, they really they love us today. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, then to bring that cup back here and relive it over and over again through other people's eyes, there's no satisfaction like that. I mean, you may have enjoyed it in Vancouver, but to see the effect that cup had over and over again, there's, there's no other... Uh, there's no other award that, uh, that compares to the Stanley Cup. Well, that was Jeremy Jacobs, and obviously the Cup meant everything to him. And it was great to hear his reference to bringing the Cup back here to Boston after they won in Vancouver. Because uh, when the Bruins got back that afternoon, <laughs> they went to an outside bar in Boston. It was a beautiful day, like today, about 90 degrees. And basically... The team just sat at this outside bar, sidewalks everywhere, people everywhere, with the cup, sat it on a table, and just uh, hung out, hung out with Bostonians uh, that afternoon, evening, and it was just one of the coolest things ever, to put it mildly. Now, the next inductee uh, was a true pioneer in the Title IX movement. Basically, uh, she was on the 1976 Yale women's crew team, Chris Ernst, and she led a protest where basically the women's team disrobed to get the attention of uh, how women athletes weren't being treated fairly at Yale and having the same facilities, what have you, schedule as the male athletes. And Chris went on to become uh, a two-time member of the United States Olympic team. And she told this great story about uh, when they received their clothing in Lake Placid in advance of heading off to the Olympics in Montreal in 1976. So, um, in 1976, uh, Montgomery Ward was the uh, fashion supplier. Nobody you know, from Montgomery Ward had anything to do with that, it's out there. But, um, <laughs> We were the last team to go through Lake Placid where they gave us all our supplies to then go into Montreal. And one of the things, you go down the line, and one of the things they handed us was a girdle. Now, I know you young people out there don't know what a girdle is. <laughs> and I'm, I'm told it's something like 
uh, high-tech spanks. <laughs> but, uh, so a girdle was a thing that you gave to somebody who was like belly hung out to make them. It was kind of like a corset, but for the 1950s. And this was, you know, we were all like, and by the time we, you know, they'd heard this from every athlete, they said, shush and take your girdle and get out of here. Because everybody was saying, hey, give me a girdle for I'm not an athlete. But this is, this is the level that things were at um, for the women athletes, was that you were given <coughs> clothing like that as part of your Olympic outfit. Also, the, um, the, the, uh, the outfit was so ugly that we were going to wear in the opening ceremonies that a black woman from the track team came through and they said, we are not wearing this outfit, and they made up another outfit. And that's a great story by Chris Ernst, and uh, my, my, how far we've come since 1976 in every way possible, from girdles to uh, Title IX. Uh, and by the way, I just want to mention that the questions at the beginning of the audio with Robert Parrish and uh, Jeremy Jacobs were asked by Glenn Ordway of WEEI. Glenn is a well-known local sports personality who was a Celtics announcer back during the Robert Parrish, Larry Bird era. So moving on, the next inductee was Patriot Safety, Rodney Harrison. Again, just an absolutely terrific personality and as good a hitter as I've ever seen. I witnessed many, many, many of his games on the Gillette Stadium turf, not to mention the uh, AFC championship game in Pittsburgh in 2005 when he returned an interception against Ben Roethlisberger for uh, about 83 yards, if I remember correctly, uh, leading to the Patriots' third Super Bowl. But Rodney Harrison had, not surprisingly, given his NBC uh, his NBC career on Sunday Night Football, had some great comments, and he got right into it talking about the recently departed Junior Seau. It's directly responsible for me having the career that I had. As a rookie, I looked at Junior Seau every day in practice, and I went up to Junior and I said, Junior, why do you practice so hard? He's running around, he's you know, being just muscular guys, Junior Seau. And he said, Rodney, he says, practice, I get paid to practice. He says, I get paid to practice. He said, I play the games for free because it's easy, if you think about it, it's easy to go in front of 60,000, 70,000 people and play. You don't need motivation, but to come in and practice every single day like it's a game. And that's what Junior Seau taught me. I implemented that in my program, and I did that over the course of my career. And when I retired, the biggest compliment I got was when Bill Belichick said, you know what, Rodney was the best practice player I had in 31 years. That, that's what it's about. And that was Rodney Harrison, and remember, before he came to the Patriots, he played for many, many years as a teammate of Junior Seau. And here's Rodney talking about uh, the pressure that's on athletes and how his career ended. What I understand is the type of pressure and anxiety that we as players, owners, general managers, we carry each and every day, because you're always trying to live up to a standard. You're always trying to be that perfect person, that perfect athlete. You always know that your job is on the line. You're trying to feed your family. You know they're going to bring someone younger in and 
try to get cheaper talent to come in and replace you. So we carry uh, such a, a great amount of anxiety. And when I retired from football, and I got when I got my last injury, and, and a guy mentioned, "Hey, I remember you when we, you know getting carted off the field." It was almost like relief because my wife had told me that year. She says the only way you're going to retire is if they carry you off the field. And when that happened, I just waved to the fans, and I was just like relieved. I said, "You know what? It's over. I can walk away." And I was happy, and I'm happy now with the NBC job or without it. I'm at peace with what I've done because I know I impacted people's lives. I know I worked my ass off, and I know that I have so much to offer each and every day. I coach Little League baseball, t-ball, basketball, and I'm enjoying my family, and I'm a committed, dedicated husband and a father, and that's what drives me. And Rodney Harrison uh, was introduced chose to be introduced by his wife, which just speaks volumes about what he just said at the end about being a family man. Next up was U.S. soccer legend Alexi Lalas, and here's Alexi talking about his famous hair and goatee. Um, the, 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 I'm a performer, and I'm an entertainer, and I make absolutely uh, no apologies for it. I love to get out there in front of people and to Form, whether it's in front of a camera for, for television or whether it's on, on the field. And, and I love that about sports, that you practice very, very hard, which is the same thing as a rehearsal or anything else, and you get out there and you perform. And the things you do and the things that you say and the way that you look, that's all part of the performance. Um, this wasn't something that I concocted in some back room. It's just the way that I look. And when I see pictures of it and I have to explain it to my children, uh, it's not always easy, as I'm sure Bill can attest to. It's not always easy to look back at, at what you were doing, but I, I still look back with us. What do you mean? What do you mean? What you were doing? On and off the field, what you were doing. <laughs> so, so I'll have to explain it to them at some point. But now, just the visual of it when they see their father and, and what he looked like at the time, and, and now try to compare and contrast with what they see now uh, running around here. Look, I, I cleaned up on the outside, but I'm still pretty much of a mess on the inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Alexi's reference to uh, well, to Bill was, of course, Bill Walton. And if there, there, there have never been two kindred spirits, both with uh, red hair, than Alexi Lawless and Bill Walton. And I'm sure they would have a lot to talk about over a beer, needless to say, about uh, life off the court and the field, shall we say. Um, and for all you soccer fans out there starting to think about U.S. World Cup, as you've been watching the Euro Cup the past few weeks, which has been great, by the way. Here's Lawless talking about uh, what we should expect from the United States soccer team in the World Cup in 2014 in Rio de Janeiro. Your knee or anything like that. I think right now, all of you, as, as whether you're totally into soccer or just when the World Cup comes up, you, you put on your red, white, and blue, and, and you scream and yell, I think you should expect your team, the next World Cup will be in Brazil in 2014, you should expect your team to do well. That's part of what we're talking about here, is we've raised the awareness, and we've also raised the expectations, and that's a good thing, because, listen, Boston knows better than anybody that uh, raised expectations are important. And living up to them is not always easy, but it's what makes you great. It's what make this, makes this city great and what makes all these wonderful teams that have done so well great. Those raise expectations. So expect more out of your U.S. soccer team. Expect them to win a World Cup uh, in the future. Here, here, And can't wait for 2014, but first we'll uh, get a taste of soccer in the upcoming Olympics. And uh, 
And they saved the best for last when they inducted Pedro Martinez. And Pedro is just an absolutely fascinating character. Boy, do we miss him here. And uh, he has some really interesting comments to say about uh, the famous incident he had with uh, Don Zimmer. Not only was the people and the fans were special, but also the city. The mayor we had was special because from that day on, he started looking for me, supporting me, supporting my ideas, supporting what I wanted to do for the Latin community that I wasn't seeing very often here in Boston and that had never seen someone that could really stand up and, and say, hey, I'm here, I represent Latin America and, and I'm here to stay. Mayor Menino offered me his hand from the first time I got in until now and it will continue to be that way. And uh, I don't know if many of you remember the incident with Don Zimmer, which I <laughs> I really regret that it happened because I have a huge, huge respect for for older people. I try to help them. <laughs> Honestly, but we all we all have one moment. I just I just heard Robert Robert Parrish say that that he had one single moment. And I'm, I'm not sure I can say that, but he had a lot of where he just went up and snapped. And, uh, you know, that's, that's really something to admire. To have a person that in a long career, long home fame career, can only have one moment. <laughs> that's just really something to think about. Uh, I, I regret the, the, the Singer incident because I never had any problem with anybody. Uh, older people I protect. I teach in the community, you know, the young generation coming up, uh, to, to respect older people, to protect young people, uh, to be respectful. And, and not that I disrespected uh, Zimmer, but I regret it because it happened with me. And I didn't want that to go in my legacy. But it happened, I reacted, I protect myself, and. Uh, it wasn't something I meant to do, but if I protect myself, Major Menino protect me better. <laughs> well, fascinating comments by Pedro. I don't ever remember him talking publicly about the Don Zimmer incident, so it was really uh, terrific to hear his perspective uh, with uh, many years of hindsight behind him. And lastly, Pedro talked about... Uh, his best games ever, and not surprisingly, the one he chose was the 17-strikeout game in Yankee Stadium many years ago. I watched that night. It was magical. And with that said, uh, we'll go to our break now. And coming up after the break will be A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. 
If you're looking for a radio show about boxing, you usually can't find one until you stop by the Voice America Sports Channel. Tune in to Outside the Ring with former world lightweight champion and U.S. Olympian David Diaz. We'll deliver the knockout punches with our guests as we go inside the minds of today's top fighters. We'll throw in discussion of other sports as well from time to time. Outside the Ring with David Diaz airs every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Fantasy sports is where the action really is. Over 40 million people play fantasy sports, but rarely do they get to quiz the experts. Fantasy Insights is the name and the game. Tune in every week as Dish Adams and his guests clue you in on the fantasy football game, what's happening on and off the field, and how it will affect your fantasy team. These experts aren't just beat writers assigned to fantasy football. They live and breathe the game. Tune in to Fantasy Insights with Dish Adams every Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Sports. internet flagship station for sports voice america sports you're listening to all around sports with your host john inglesby become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144 that's 1-888-346-9144 or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net now Back to the show. Voice America listeners, welcome back to segment three of All Around Sports. And to join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144. And on the line now with us is our friend of the show and contributor, A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. And welcome, A.P. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you, John. I appreciate you having me on the show. Well, it's our pleasure, needless to say, and you had a pretty exciting night last night. You were at the NBA draft in Newark. Why don't you yeah, tell us was, all about it? It was exciting, was... John. My first time to an NBA draft. I really enjoyed myself. That's terrific. Well, you and I know drafts. We met at the NBA NFL draft, excuse me, at Radio City two drafts ago in 2011, and we were both there again this past April, and uh, yeah, how did it compare? I mean, if, if I'm not mistaken, it's the first time they've held it in, you know, like an arena with crowds and everything. Is that correct? Yeah, um, you, you know, John, I think there's one other time many years ago they might have held it at another arena, but I can't recall uh, now that you asked. But, yeah, I, you know, it moves so quickly compared to the NFL draft, you know, five minutes, uh you know, if you, you go to get a bite to eat, you'll you'll miss maybe two two picks, two selects. Right. The NFL. I noticed that. They had the tendency they they go the distance. You know, the it was amazing. I noticed that. But uh, it was it moved very quickly. But it was it was interesting. Yeah. Well, it was quite a night. You know, a couple of the highlights that I thought were, uh, you know, obviously Kentucky. They had uh, six players chosen, which. Uh, uh, either tied or is the all-time record uh, for players chosen in one draft. And uh, also I thought, you know, it was a great night for the 
New Orleans Hornets, who deserve a great night, given what happened with Chris Paul and everything. And uh, obviously, they took Anthony Davis as number one pick. That was a no-brainer. But I, uh, being up here in Boston, loved the pick of Austin Rivers, Doc Rivers' son, at number 10, and instantly just visualized Anthony Davis and Austin Rivers, you know, inside and outside, being uh, potentially uh, a formidable duo for years to come. Yeah, I see it the same way, John. Uh, uh, someone like Anthony Davis, he will be an immediate impact on the maybe the Tim Duncan mode. He can really turn your team around. He's a young kid with a good attitude. He won the championship with Kentucky in New Orleans. And he, he was really excited to be drafted by the by the Hornets, and and uh, the TV station from New Orleans was there. I I met some of those people when I was in New Orleans for the BCS national championship game. Uh, of course, the Kentucky Riders were there, and they were excited for Anthony and the other five Kentucky players drafted. And to your point, it did tie a record. It was UNLV in 1977, John. They had six players drafted, and then there's uh, quite a few teams with five. You know. And okay. or teams with five. Kentucky was one of those with five also. Uh, I think they might change the name next year. It'll be National Basketball Association uh, for Kentucky or something. I don't know because 11 players in two years, you know, the last two or three years, 11 players, that's quite a, quite a feat. You know, and it's amazing because I sat, I covered the tip-off classic at the Mohegan Sun Arena in Con- Connecticut last November. Kentucky played Penn State. And I attended, in a very small, intimate setting, a press conference with John Calipari. And, you know, uh, say what you want about Coach Cal. He was absolutely lit up the room, shall we say, just charismatic beyond description. And, you know, I saw with my own eyes from literally a few feet away him talk for a number of minutes about how he truly believes his, you know, Number one goal, so to speak. This was before he won his first ever national championship, obviously just a couple months ago. But his first goal was to, you know, basically uh, get these kids drafted by the NBA so that they and their families would be financially secure for life. And, you know, he did it last, he's done it the last couple of years. Obviously, last year was, you know, a lot of players, put it mildly. And, uh, but this year he really did it in a big, big way while also winning the national championship. So, again, I'd have to say that, you know, one of the most satisfied beings on the planet, and I believed what I was hearing from Coach Cow as I literally heard him deliver it right in front of me. Uh, I think he's one happy man today, as if he really is, you know, uh, is doing what he truly should be doing, which is, again bringing these players in, having them play at the highest level of college basketball, and for many of them, after one year, hitting, hitting the bonanza of being set financially for life along with the families who raised them. Uh, so, you know, good for him. You know, again, Coach Cow has his critics, but... When you sit in the room with him and listen to him, as, as I'm sure many recruits do, uh, <laughs> he's a tough guy not to uh, not to like and, frankly, not to believe. Yeah, to his credit, John, I mean, he not only changed the lives of his players, but generations down the road if they've managed their, 
their, their money well. Right. He, you know, he, he recruits the top talent. And, but there's other coaches across the country that might get a hold of, of the creme de la creme, but he develops that talent. And they're battle-tested by the time they're, they're through playing a year or two years. I mean, and, and NBA scouts, I mean, it's almost like Nick Saban and Alabama football. They've been uh, challenged, and they're, they're ready for, for the next week. A lot of times I've, I've talked to different players, and they'll go to the next level, and they say, you know, college prepared me so well. These, these professional practices are breeds. And right, I'm sure. That, you know, Calipari's practices are very difficult. I've, I've seen him, you know, time or two. With some of his practices, and he he gets them to defend. And that, and you, and you know, you know, basketball. That's the most difficult part to defend because you you have to exert so much effort. Yeah. So you've uh, have you met Coach Cow or sat in on one of his press conferences or whatever? Seen him speak in person? Yes, John. Uh, every year I attend the SEC media event in Birmingham. And right. he's, you know, effervescent personality, answers any question directly. Uh, he seems to enjoy himself. I mean, why not? You have to be there. Why not enjoy yourself? It's foolish to, to fight the situation. I mean, you have control of the podium and the microphone, you know, and uh, he, he takes uh, full advantage of the opportunity. And uh, I can see how parents and players gravitate towards him because, uh, He's got a charismatic personality, as you you said. He really does. Uh, And again, he has a legion of critics, but, you know, he, like LeBron James, has now in many ways vindicated himself by winning the national championship. And uh, I think it's time to back off. To me, the most important thing is this. He didn't make the rules. The rule, he's following the rules to, you know, with one and done, he didn't make the role, but he's just, he's just playing within it. And, you know, nobody gets players ready quicker for the NBA than John Calipari. If I'm a, if I'm a high school stud basketball player and, you know, like Austin Rivers at Duke, shall we say, my dream is to play in the NBA, then, you know, Coach Cow is certainly going to get you there. Yeah, the people who are criticizing him about that one and done, I mean, look at all the schools recruiting those same players. I mean, if they went to their school, are they going to say we won't accept them? Or I, I doubt it. Coaches want to win, and, you know, their livelihoods on the line. So I, I don't really pay attention to those critics. He didn't, he didn't uh, institute those, you know, that, that legislation, but he, he follows the rules, and he's winning within those guidelines. Yeah, and, you know, as far as one and done goes, I mean, I feel, you know, I think this year's a great example with, you know, the venerable Coach K at Duke obviously had uh, Austin Rivers, the son of Coach Doc Rivers, a family that's financially secure, obviously, and uh, Rivers, as he said last night, has always said this wasn't about, you know, leaving early or anything. This was about wanting, you know, living his dream to play in the NBA, which he achieved last night, you know, step one, by being drafted. And, uh, you know, so it's one and done is happening at Duke with Coach K. Need I say more? And nobody's in any way, shape, or form questioning that. And if ever there was a player that, you know, does not have a financial need, shall we say, to be one and done and on to the NBA for financial reasons, it's obviously Austin Rivers. So I'm hoping 
that the combination of, you know, Austin Rivers combined with Coach Cow winning a national championship, doing it his way with one and done, can finally just sort of put this all to rest. And those are the rules. If, if it's a big problem, the NCAA needs to change it. And then everybody from Coach K to Coach Cow will, I'm sure, play by the new rules. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, John, when I was young, I always used to kind of follow Al McGuire. And he had yes. this saying that he said, what do you tell these players when they come to you for a decision about turning professional? He says, well, I looked in their refrigerator. I saw what was there. And so I told him to turn pro. So I've always subscribed to the thought that if you had a grandson and he had a lottery ticket in his hand and you said, well, hold on to that thing for four years, you might lose it, but hold on to it. You know, in the case of an athlete, maybe he'll get injured, never play again, even though they have this insurance policy that you can get. You know, would you tell your grandson, hold on to that lottery ticket, but you might lose it in four years? I mean, I don't think you would. Great analogy. Absolutely. And I've always been of the belief, very simply, why do you go to college? To get educated, to get the best job possible. That's it. And it's great to have a degree, but if you can get the kind of job we're talking about, again, financial security for life and in some cases for generations beyond, it's, it's, there's, there is no argument, you know. And they do need to go to college for one year under the present system to, you know, get that lottery ticket so, uh, so they do what they have to do. And... So, I, again, I hope that this year with, you know, what has gone on from Austin Rivers to Cal winning the national title, that maybe we can just finally put this to bed and realize uh, all coaches are working under the same uh, rules. And, again, from Coach K to Coach Cal and everybody in between. And, you know, that's just the way it is. And it's up to these coaches to, you know, maximize it for their programs under this system. Yeah, I, I, th- I think you're right, John. I think I think so. Uh, well, that's John, great. Let me ask you a question. Uh, yes, I, I was. I had an answer for you myself. What did you think about Andre Drummond? To me, he was the biggest enigma of the draft. I spoke to scouts across the league. Well, I totally agree with you. Um, you know, right off the bat, as I look in here at the draft chart, you know, he, he, he's listed as a forward and a center. So right off the bat, that tells you that, you know, he's a bit of a hybrid. And, uh, you know, from the UConn program, uh, excellent player. You, you know, as many players are coming out under uh, Jim Calhoun, he went to the Pistons. And uh, I think he's going to have, you know, a good, good career. I, I thought he, you know, brought a nice, you know, inside game with an outside component to it uh, which is what what which is what it's all about in today's NBA it's not about you know low post centers anymore it's about uh, you know the LeBron James types being able to you know score in transition get up and down the floor and I think Andre Drummond uh, will fit in today's NBA yeah John you know I was curious about Andre uh, he kind of lives in the same town I do and I met him when he was a ah. young player and I actually knew his AAU coach because I coached his AAU coach. So, you know, I had a, an interest to watch where he might end up in the draft. And last night, when he was selected by the Pistons, I, I was thinking, and the big man coach as it stands for the Pistons is Roy Rogers, who played at Alabama, of all places. Um, and Roy was, is maybe the perfect person because when he came out of Alabama, he was six foot nine. 
about 190 pounds coming out of high school, a little 1A school, and he willed himself to be a number one draft choice. I mean, there's no way he should have been a number one draft choice if you saw him coming out of high school, but he lifted weights and he got up to maybe 240 or so and developed an offensive game because he was a tremendous shot blocker. He he bought 14 shots in one game against Georgia. I think he had a triple-double at, at evening points, rebounds, and blocked shots. Wow. Bang. And I, I'm thinking, and I'd like to get in touch with Roy sometime, but Andre can block shots and rebound and has the athleticism to run run down the court and beat the guards. Uh, his his deficiency skill-wise is with the low post moves on all the scouts that I talk to. You know, he has a lot of work in that area a couple of years probably before he, he gets up to speed, you know. Uh, but So I'm really curious to watch um his development with Detroit, and if Roy gets the chance to be with them and and uh, work with him through the next two or three years, I had a chance to speak to Andre, and he, he didn't work out for Detroit, believe it or not. They came to visit him, but he said he didn't visit Detroit. Interesting. Well, all you need to say, AP, is he was chosen in the top ten of the NBA draft. That says it all. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, I, I tell people, look, if, if he just blocks the shots and rebounds, which every big man when I was growing up, that's what you wanted him to accomplish, that, that's great, and any offense would be the gravy, right? He has the meat and potatoes, that would be the gravy if he, you know, can uh, contribute any offense. So, I mean, if he's a Kendrick, I mean, I know he's way more athletic than Kendrick Perkins. I saw Kendrick when he was a young player at the ABCD camp. He's much more athletic, and look at Kendrick Perkins. He's a, a good player in the NBA. Yeah, and I saw Kendrick when he came right out of high school to play at the uh, Celtics uh, summer program. Uh, yeah. And he's turned out well, too. And, you know, just speaking of, uh, you referenced Roy Rogers being at Alabama. We're down under two minutes, but we can't end the segment, the show, without touching on... Uh, Mine and yours favorite subject, which is, of course, college football and the brand new Final Four system. Uh, we talked about it at length last week when it was about to be adopted. It has been adopted since then. What are your thoughts uh, quickly on, on how it all played out this week? Yeah, I was glad that, that the, the Presidential uh, Oversight Committee agreed to the four teams and not eight, and I was glad that it was a long-term deal of 12 because right away the chatter will begin, you know, the clamoring will begin to include eight. I want to see how this thing progresses with four. Um, I'm happy that the games will be played that New Year's Eve and, and January 1. College football can reclaim those days and with meaningful games. And I think it's interesting, and I talked to a few people, I really do believe the open bid, they're trying to expose the game to other parts of the country, and it's really, it really will be a true open bid and not just a chance to drive up the price in hopes that the, the, one of the four BCS bowls will up the ante to, to win the bid. Really interesting thought. Uh, yeah, so quickly, tell me how... So open it up to the other areas of the country. So is that to say that like a... Uh, what, just a city that is not college football mad? Let's just, you know, for the heck of it, I know it's not going to happen, but, you know, like Boston. I mean, Division One college football is limited up here, shall we say, in New England, especially for a guy who grew up half an hour from Penn State. Um, so you're saying 
maybe cities outside the college football hotbeds will bid on it and then heighten interest in, in that area beyond what it already would be. Uh, yes, yes, and I, I had uh, uh, talked to people across the country, you know, Indianapolis is interested, St. Louis, uh, San okay. Antonio, Houston, uh, the new MetLife Stadium, they said they would bid on it, even though, you know, that's where the cold weather, the uh, first cold weather Super Bowl will be played outdoors. Uh, Detroit, right. uh, the, Minneapolis will be will have a new stadium in 2016. Um, uh, Tampa will be interested. Um, I think somebody, Atlanta's going to bid on it. Uh, Arlington. I, I think, John, the first game of the championship will be played in Arlington. That's my guess. Jerry Jones's palace. Jerry Jones, right, right. That's, Arlington, that's Texas, guess. okay. Yeah. I, I, I've heard that, too, and I agree with that. Yeah. I, I think he will do whatever it takes, especially yeah. with the disastrous Super Bowl that they had a couple years ago. Right, right. So he's not, right, he won't be getting that anytime yeah. soon. I think that's a great point. Um, that is going to be fascinating, to put it mildly. And uh, yeah, well, finally it's here, AP, and and people like you and I who really do love college football. It's it's in our blood. Uh, you know, I think we're pretty happy people this week, along with millions and millions of others, uh, that finally, finally, it seems. Almost certain. I guess we'll have to see it when we believe it. See it to believe it that it will be settled on the field. Yeah, once and for all. Once and for all. And AP, uh, with that statement, I'll close the show because that's uh, that sums it up perfectly. And I want to thank you again for taking the time to call. I know you're uh, on the road back from the NBA draft last night in Newark, New Jersey, and. Uh, and again, your insights, as always, on both the draft and the new college football playoff system uh, were invaluable, to say the least. So thank you again, and uh, look forward to doing it again soon, AP. Oh, thank you, John. Appreciate it very much. Very kind. You're welcome. And my pick of the week for appointment viewing is Italy-Spain in the Euro Cup final Sunday afternoon. And as always... Thank you for listening to All Around Sports, and we look forward to doing it all again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks again for tuning in to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a terrific weekend, and we'll talk sports again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com.